Have you ever had someone just completely ignore you or cut off communication with you for seemingly no reason? And when that happened, were you like today's guest, Haley? Did you ask yourself what you did wrong to cause that response? What is up with that? Today, I unpack the pattern of Haley's relationship with her ex to explain why we often put up with this type of behavior for far too long. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and I wanted to share my passion of equipping others to do exactly what I do in this podcast. It's called my E2 program. If you're ready to deconstruct the gaslighting in your life so that you can live awake and free, I wanna teach you how. The link will be in my show notes. My guest today is Haley, and Haley is a tech industry professional badass, born and raised in Northern California. She is a dedicated auntie, loyal friend and daughter, and dog mom who makes sure her dog is living his best life. Lucky dog. (laughs) I know some people like that. I want to come back as a dog a minute's life for those. Anyways, she loves adventuring with friends and is passionate about health and wellness. She enjoys trying new hobbies and is daily taking the world by storm. Welcome, Haley. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. All right, let's jump in, shall we? I'm excited to teach my listeners today about this thing, the word of the day that is called inconsistency. Now, the Cambridge English Dictionary defines inconsistent as containing elements that are opposed and do not match so that it is difficult to imagine how both can be true. I want to say that last bit for those in the back, right? It's so that it is difficult to imagine how both things can be true or how both things can be happening, right? As a gaslighting tactic, inconsistency can show up in a variety of ways. The main thing we want to look for is the pattern of inconsistency and then pay attention to what happens in our minds and hearts as a result of the inconsistency. Now, Haley's story highlights this so potently. So Haley, let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with your gaslighter and who would that be? Not name specifically, but you know, what role did they have in your life? Sure. So um, it was with my ex-boyfriend. We Mm -hmm. met in our early 20s through work and We're together for about three official years and then on and off again for six years after that. So total duration of the relationship was nine years with this particular ex. That's a good chunk of time. It was. It was was a significant amount of time and it was heavily rooted in some bad patterns. So it it prolonged it, I think, a lot longer than it needed to be. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, we'll, we'll see as we go through your story, how this pattern, this, this pattern of inconsistency kept you in a place of always thinking it was going to be better or different next time. And that, that can keep us in a relationship, as I said in my intro, a lot longer than we otherwise would have. Right. So, um, y'all were together about nine years on and off dedicated for three, Um, And you shared with me that it was at about three months in that you first experienced what eventually became a recurring pattern in the relationship. Would you share with my listeners how that pattern started for you? 
Yeah. So the first three months were blissful. We had so much fun together. I thought everything was going great. And one particular weekend, he just suddenly, his tone changed. He didn't want to see me. He was giving me Mm -hmm. weird excuses as to why he couldn't see me or hang out or go out. We had tentative plans that he bailed on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just wasn't making any sense. None of it was really adding up. And he eventually then didn't hear from him for a few days. And it just, his communication just completely stopped. And so it sent me into this tailspin, reliving and analyzing the first three months to say, what happened? What went wrong? Where did I go wrong? Where did I misread this? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to understand and pinpoint the root of the behavior. And then a mm-hmm. few days later, he surfaced, resurfaced, and tried to explain away that he was in a funk and it was in a weird mental headspace and just needed to retreat. Mm-hmm. And I took it, I took his word and thought, well, if we could get back to the way things were a few months ago, then maybe this is just a bump in the road and we'll mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds like Haley, basically for no apparent reason, he just up and ghosted you. And then whenever it felt good to him, he would come back, give you some basically kind of half-ass apology, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, being the good hearted person you were, you're like, okay, well, you know, I can feel some empathy for that. So I'll give you a second chance. And then something else would happen that would kind of cement that giving him another chance. What was that? He would be so charming and so charismatic and so into me. And just the love bombing was so aggressive that it made Mm -hmm. me feel so great. And it made Mm -hmm. me, it was that carrot. It was that, that hook again to say, well, okay, then things really are good between us. You'd really do care for me. I knew it. And it would kind of validate that whole, what I was chasing in the first place, knowing if Mm -hmm. we could get back to this, maybe it'll last a little bit longer this time, or maybe Mm -hmm. this will be sustainable this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it'll be different this time, but every time the love bombing would happen after um, the half-assed, you know, non-apology apology, apology, and that would rehook me. Right. So you shared a specific story to kind of illustrate the dynamic of this relationship. Would you share about the, what I call the train ride? I think a lot of my listeners will really relate to what happened here. Yeah. So there was one night we had this super fun date night in the city and we got out to dinner and just done a bunch of fun things in the city. And we were on the train back on our way home and we were sitting next to each other and and he was a bigger guy. So his shoulder was kind of over my shoulder. We were just sitting close to each other. So I naturally just wrapped my arm around his arm. We were were close to each other on the train, just wrapped my arm around his. It was like a very innocent, but sweet gesture in my mind. Yeah. Very normal. Very normal. Right. Yeah. And, um, he like kind of winced and pulled away and told me that I was needy because I always needed to touch him. Like, why do you always have to touch me? You're so needy. Mm. So, clingy like I just need some space and I'm like well we're on the fucking train like there's not a lot of space here <laughs> right. so you're already next to me so I'm just putting my mm-hmm. arm around you. like what's what is or like my arm through yours what's the problem mm-hmm. and he made me feel so self-conscious about being needy and clingy which I'm not actually a super affectionate person to begin with like mm-hmm. I would rarely ever initiate any sort of affection it's just not really my personality so mm-hmm. um this made me hyper aware of mm-hmm. ever trying to do that with him or anybody else for that matter because that sting of his rejection and his pulling away and him making me feel like I was something I actually wasn't was mm-hmm. ever present whenever I wanted to try to you know wrap my arm around somebody else I, I would catch myself not doing it because I had his words in the back of my mind yep bastard That's how this happens, right? Like people, people say these types of things and then we internalize it, right? Because we don't want to be these negative things. So we adjust who we are 
and how we behave so that we don't continue to be called these things that were not even really us in the first place. Totally adapt myself and, and uh, change myself in a way that it wasn't truly me at all, just to match yeah. those expectations. Yeah. And yet we all do it. Like, I don't say that in a shaming way, right? Like yeah. until we're aware, we don't know that we do that. We, you know, we, we think that we're, we're being loving by adjusting, right? Like we think we're compromising There's such a big difference between compromises and concessions, but that's a different podcast. So <laughs> let's move, we can move on. Um, so this pattern of you know, something happening, him, you know, ghosting, sometimes saying something mean and gaslighty, sometimes not, um, you know, being gone, coming back with Paul G. So Haley, this pattern continued over the course of the relationship, correct? It did. Yes, it did. Yeah. And yet it morphed or grew, right? Like it didn't just stay that he would, you know, just gaslight and then be gone ghosted for like a day or two, right? Like, it, it would continue in the same pattern, but it changed. And you started to have some awareness as a, probably, especially in hindsight, but can you share with us what awarenesses you had? What, what are some of the things that you noticed about the pattern that was happening? Yeah, I started to notice that there were these unspoken or unknown landmines by me mm-hmm. that I would innocently step on. It could be something I would say about a girlfriend getting married that would trigger him or, and he would, he would take it in a way that was like, I'm putting pressure on him to get married, but all I would Mm. my girlfriend's getting married. I'm so excited for her. Mm -hmm. There were just all of these weird little, like I said, unknown landmines that I would step on and he would never address it with me. If there was something bothering him or if he, you know, interpreted something I said in a way that rubbed him the wrong way that he would never seek to understand from me, mm-hmm. he would just ghost. He would just disappear, and he would ruminate on these things for days. So I, I would, ha- I literally would have no idea. I could say something on a Monday, and Thursday suddenly not hear from him again for an indefinite period of time, and yeah. never be able to equate what it is I said to the behavior because he would ruminate on it, but never seek to understand. And it would be mm-hmm. another landmine that I'd step on that I would only later find out um, if he were to, you know, reach back out or, or include it in his non-apology apology what it was that triggered it, it would always be my fault. But mm-hmm. I literally would say something so innocently that actually had nothing to do with him that would set him off. It's so hard. It's so, so hard, right? Like I can it's only hard. imagine how much time and energy you put into trying to figure out what these landmines were. It was bizarre. Yeah. There was a lot of analyzing and, and thinking and reviewing and trying to figure out again what what happened to trigger it? Because I also, I'm a very logical person. I want answers. Mm-hmm. I like to understand, you know, right. and I'm very self-aware. So if there was something that I said or did that was misconstrued, I'm the first one to own it, but there were just right. there was never room for those conversations because he would never come to me and have them. It's exhausting. Um, it was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely exhausting. Yeah. Such a, yeah. A mind fuck. <laughs> right. and, and even in the silence, you know, it, it wasn't mm-hmm. always gaslighting verbally. It was manipulated right. with the silence, you know, and absolutely. And making Withdraw in the silent so, treatment. Mm-hmm. I had done yep. something wrong through the silent yep. treatment. It was, yep. it was awful. Yep. Absolutely. It totally strips us of our power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's an undermining tactic for sure. Um, which we'll 
uh, unpack a little bit more when I get to the deconstruction zone. Um, but let's let's shift on for my listeners. You know, I, I loved how you put in some things into your notes about you know things that I would call red flags, right? So so oftentimes it's really really hard when we're in the middle of it. Like hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can see all of these things. It's like oh man, like all these red flags, like. Why was I painting them green kind of a thing or, you know, different things like that. But, um, you know, in the moment, what can really help? I, I actually talk about this in, in my group program, this kind of concept of zooming in and zooming out, right? Like sometimes we're so zoomed in on just one aspect of what we're experiencing that all of these other context clues, if you will, kind of clue us in like, oh my gosh, like when I step, take a step back and look at the big picture there are so many things happening here. Like it helps put into context this other experience of ghosting, right? Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned a number of kind of red flags that were happening. And now that you know them and can identify them as red flags, um, you know, I'd love for you to be able to help my listeners put them into context. So would you share a little bit about some of those with us? Absolutely. So he, my ex always had a really interesting relationship with drugs and alcohol. And I, I call it interesting because there were times where he would s- severely abuse them and then mm-hmm. he would quit cold turkey. And and we were often at our best when he wasn't using any sort of drugs or alcohol. Sure. Um, but in hindsight, that's clearly a problem. So yeah. <laughs> he had uh, a very unmanaged problem with yeah. um, substances that yeah. in, in the moment I also couldn't see super clearly and thought, well, you know, if he needs help, he needs help. I can't leave him now, you know, and and Mm. start to go down that path of trying to help Mm -hmm. him. And that would blow up in other ways. So, um, that's a big one, uh, heavy substance abuse issues. Um, there were inappropriate conversations and texting and outreaches with other women. Mm. And I might sign out sound naive. I don't know if he ever physically cheated, but I definitely know he emotionally cheated, which Mm -hmm. can be equally as painful in some regards. So, um, there was a lot of seeking validation and attention from women outside of the relationship that I learned about. He was also one to seek quick fixes for things. Like he never wanted to address anything head on. It was always mm-hmm. a band-aid solution that would just mm-hmm. get him to the next band-aid solution. And mm-hmm. um, whether that was like physical things, he, you know, wanted to cycle a thousand hours a day to try to lose a ton of weight really quickly, but he wouldn't take the time to eat better or to cook mm-hmm. his food to actually stick to a really healthy workout regimen. Like there were just a lot of quick fixes that he was after. Okay. Yep. Um, and the apologies, you know, I mentioned the, the non-apology apologies. Yeah. Were, he would write me these long narratives mm-hmm. when he'd come back around to try to explain away the behavior that sounded good. It sounded on the surface like an apology, but when you actually read the subtext to it, there was zero accountability for any of the hurt or the damage or uh, the actions you know, he had done. And so, you know, it sounded good on the surface, but there was zero accountability. And it was, that's why it's a non-apology apology. apology. Exactly. And I I just, I love that. And I want to, I want to camp here for just a minute for my listeners, because this is so powerful, right? Again, I don't know that you'll hear it every episode, but (laughs) probably a lot of them is what can be really clarifying, right? Like gaslighting, it's called being in a fog, right? So what can be clarifying and help clear that fog is not necessarily trying to make sense out of gaslighting because gaslighting isn't always logical, right? Like, so we can't approach crazy with logic, right? So it's actually getting clear um, for ourselves 
And so it's not looking at the gaslighting, it's looking at what is missing, right? So a, a non-apology apology can be really super confusing because because like you said, you have all of these maybe beautiful, perfect words, right? And especially if they're really good at playing the victim, right? Like they can sound, um, you know, guilty. Like I feel bad. I'm such a fuck up or whatever. <laughs> like, but it's about them. It's very self-centered, right? It's There's zero taking responsibility for the behaviors or actions that they had done. And there's zero remorse for how it made you feel. And there's zero empathy for how it made you feel, right? So it's really a self-serving thing. It's just, I know I need to do this in order for you to forgive me and us to be able to get back to the love bombing phase, which I know will hook you in again, right? So it's it's like a required check mark is all it is. Yes, absolutely. And in addition to that, it can actually go even further. And in my first step, nope, sorry, my first episode with Lauren, my first that's second Lauren. I've had somebody to <laughs> two Laurens back to back. We talk about Darvo and the dangling carrot, right? And Darvo being reversing who's to blame. And you've actually had a couple of experiences where that happened to you in an apology, right? Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you expound on that a little bit? There's one time in particular that you told me it was like, I think it was the very last apology that he sent you. Yes. Yes. And how so that sounded. It's comical to me now. I literally can't talk about it without laughing, which uh-huh. to me shows the progress I've made. But yeah, in in the moment, I was just like, oh my gosh. So the apology was, um, he was saying how, you know, seeing me is so hard because it subconsciously reminds him of all the awful ways he's treated me. Mm-hmm. So he can't see me anymore. Like I, mm-hmm. it's seeing you is too hard because it just reminds me of all the, the terrible ways that I've mistreated you. So mm-hmm. it just, it was like, okay, so again, again, there's no, there's no word you in that text. It's all about yep. I, it's all about him Yep. and how seeing me makes him feel. Never yep. mind the fact that you have treated me so poorly. There's like, <laughs> there's, we're just going to gloss right over that because it makes you feel so bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, he even said it makes him turn, turn on himself, makes him turn against himself to see me because it mm-hmm. just reminds him of all the, the bad memories, mm-hmm. um, which again, I just think is so comical now and, and is it's an absolute non-apology there's zero accountability for oh. any, any of it um but it yeah. just proves his limitations and the capacity that he has to not apologize yep that's exactly correct but yeah. i want to again i wanted my listeners to hear that because i make up there are plenty of them that have experienced that too right where they walk away from an apology feeling like why don't i feel better well, because you weren't actually apologizing, <laughs> like there was actually <laughs> no contrition, right? You actually left that apology feeling like you're at fault for why they did whatever they did, mm-hmm. right? That's dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dar- and so I just wanted to kind of um, highlight that for a minute because I knew that would be a powerful connection for a lot of my listeners. Yeah. All right. So when I'm coaching my clients, one thing that I tell them to get curious about is different topics that may set off a guessing experience. So this is especially if you're trying to stay in relationship with that person, that way you can put boundaries around those topics. Um, But can you think of a specific topic in your relationship with this person that would like, basically like I'm betting the whole house (laughs) on on this topic, this will be a gaslighting experience for sure. What would that, what would that have been for you? Yes. The, the one topic that would always set him off was any time 
we brought up our future or I brought up our future. Or if there's mm-hmm. any inclination that there would be a future us down the road. Okay. So again, I'll, I'll tie it back to telling him, you know, one of my girlfriends is getting married and, mm-hmm. and the implication there is that I'm somehow pressuring him to, to marry me. That's how he received it. But mm-hmm. even though that had nothing to do with him, God forbid, I actually bring up where are we going? What are we doing <laughs> right. here? Um, right. What's the direction of this relationship? Anything mm-hmm. like that would set him off mm-hmm. and would, he would be much more aggressive in the gaslighting and mm-hmm. turning it around on me and being very defensive and then mm-hmm. later actually ghosting and disappearing. So that, that, that was always a constant, but um, mm-hmm. if I actually tried to address something with him head on related to our future, it would just tee up a whole situation, a gaslighting experience and a ghosting experience. Yeah. And, um, you shared with me in your notes, uh, like a couple of phrases that he would use specifically to turn it back around on you. Do you remember what those are? Yeah. He would say things like, well, I'm here, aren't I? I wouldn't mm-hmm. be here if I didn't want to be here. So mm-hmm. what do you think that means? I mean, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And he would say it so defensively, like, okay, mm-hmm. so that's supposed to make me feel better that you're here when I'm just trying to explain and express how I feel about something or my thoughts on something, like maybe not even feelings, mm-hmm. just my thoughts on something. Um, and he would get super defensive and and kind of aggravated with me about it. And mm-hmm. he would say that a lot. Well, I'm here. I'm here, aren't I? That's, mm-hmm. That should be good enough for you. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't. <laughs> Right. And then when you would ask him questions about these things, what was his response? Like, what did he say to you? He would say that I feel like you're questioning me. I feel like you're interrogating me. He would, he would turn it around on me. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if I didn't actually pose a question and it was just trying to have a conversation, he would say, well, it feels like you're questioning me or you're interrogating me again, Mm -hmm. making me feel like I was at fault for trying to have a conversation with him. Yeah. And I think again, 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 <laughs> what isn't there, or for me, it's, it's often what we find in gaslighting is the inference. So I might not outright say that you're doing something, but I'm going to infer it with this gaslighting phrase, right? So this, this thing of you're interrogating me, that's a word that has a lot of association for, you know, like really intense stuff that usually goes along with like a crime or, you know what I mean? Like you, you know, you picture like CSI or, you know, some kind of thing where you've got a detective and then you got the good detective and the bad detective and like interrogating the criminal. Right. Right. That's the implication when people use words like this. And so of course we're going to back off because we don't want to be accused of being like a detective and interrogating you like you're a criminal. Exactly. It makes it sound so severe and so aggressive on my part. Exactly. When it wasn't. Exactly. I just, I love that phrase because love, it's like a love hate, right? Because it's just such a perfect example of how something so simple can be so damaging to us and our capacity, not capacity, our right actually to just ask a simple question. And that gets turned around and we're, we're being told we're acting as if we're being cruel or, or mean. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. So these are some really difficult and confusing experiences that you went through. What effect did this have on you? Yeah. It ultimately made me turn against myself. It made me feel Mm -hmm. like I was the problem. And, uh, I started to be quick to take the blame to kind of mm-hmm. smooth things over and, and for the sake of maintaining the relationship and the connection. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, I mean, I sacrificed my own self-worth. I knew yeah. I deserved better. I knew my standards were higher than what I was receiving. Logically, I knew all of this. In my heart, it was harder to reconcile mm-hmm. because of the love bombing and because of that carrot chasing of knowing how good it could be. Maybe next time it'll mm-hmm. be longer. Maybe next time it'll be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it just made me sacrifice my own wellness, my own well-being, and my own self-worth. Yeah. And because of that, this is like this um, war within yourself almost, right? Like between knowing what you're worth, but not having it in this relationship caused a dynamic with your other relationships that I'd love for you to share a little bit about, because I know that this happens with other people. Yeah, it was so isolating. So because we were in a pattern of, of him ghosting and then coming back, for so long, whenever he would, in the early years, when he would ghost, I would seek comfort with my girlfriends and with my friends, with my family and explain what was going on to get their input and their guidance and their comfort to, you know, try to navigate this situation. And at a certain point, I was embarrassed to continuously be going Mm -hmm. back to them and admitting Mm -hmm. that even though I know I was, I deserved better and I deserved more than what I was settling for. I couldn't get out of it. And so Mm -hmm. I isolated myself in it and didn't talk to anybody about it and just lived with it myself Mm -hmm. knowing because it was so habitual that eventually he'd come back around. Eventually he'd come back. Eventually I'd hear from him again and things would be smoothed over. And, you know, I would have gotten everybody involved yet again for something that they didn't need to be involved in because he and I will just figure it out and it'll work itself out. So I started to carry it on my own very early on into the relationship and the relationship lasted much longer than most people in my life realized because I stopped Mm. talking to them about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I, in hindsight, will never allow myself to do again because it was so damaging to my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, just all around it bled into my life. And it, it really started to take a toll and deteriorate me. Um, yep. that's something that I just, I can't allow myself to do again. Yep. Yep. I love that. You know, you've taken that hard stand for yourself and I just want to normalize, right? Like a lot of people do the same thing and it's, it's not abnormal, right? Like for so many reasons for us to become isolated when we're in relationships like this, whether it be because we feel like other people won't understand or whether it's because we are somehow taking on kind of the shame, if you will, of what Mm -hmm. the other person is doing, right? Or whether we're shaming ourselves for giving this person another chance, whatever it might be. And so we isolate. And I love that you said, you know, I will never do that again, because it really left me all alone trying to deal with this thing. And it wasn't good for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I love that. So like we said, this went on for a long time about, you know, on again, off again, on again, off again, nine years. And talk to me a little bit about what happened after the final ghosting act. Where did you go from there? Yeah. So I was, I was angry. I was really angry after this pattern of this years, this years of pattern of being made to feel like I was in the wrong and I was the problem and I still didn't have any clarity or answers around mm-hmm. the root of the behavior. Even in, in the last ghosting act, I just, it was all still the same question marks. 
And so I found myself being really angry and preoccupied with it and still thinking about it on the daily. And I thought, I just, I cannot live the rest of my life this way. Like I, I'm a happy person. I deserve love. I know I have a lot of love to give. And this situation, my inability to put it to bed on my own is preventing me from living the life I know I want and deserve. Mm. So, um, I started therapy, um, a few months after the, the final ghosting act and, it was one of the most uh, courageous decisions and scariest mm-hmm. decisions because I really knew I was going to have to deal with some things that mm-hmm. I'd been putting off, which is what kept me in this relationship for as long as it did. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that I needed to address, mm-hmm. um, that it was easier to just stay in the pattern than to address them. And I chose myself ultimately by finding a therapist that worked for me and being in the headspace to address these things and recognize that again, there was a whole life in front of me that I wasn't living because I was so stuck in, um, some really, you know, toxic patterns and behaviors. And Mm -hmm. I, I needed help. I needed help working through them so that I could get back to living. Yeah. I love that. One of the things that I really loved about your story and I have a lot of people that will ask me, you know, um, how do I heal or how will I ever feel safe with, you know, another person again, or, you know, any kind of question that's along that vein. And what I love about your journey, um, is something that you put into your notes where you were like two years after that final ghosting act. So I'm, I'm guessing like, would this be year 11 actually then? Yeah. Or, right. Yep. So two years yeah. later, you got another apology text from him. Right. But yes. this time, yes. instead of getting sucked in by it, it was different for you. Right. It was so different for me. Yes. Cause I had, at this point I had two years of therapy under mm-hmm. my belt. I could see mm-hmm. him in the situation so differently from when mm-hmm. I was in the thick of it. Um, there's a saying, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell the forest from the trees. And I yeah. like, that's really true for me when I was in the middle of the relationship, yeah. it was really yeah. hard for me to see the situation for what it was. And yeah. the apology that came through just uh, highlighted and illustrated again, his limitations as a person mm-hmm. is incapacity to take ownership for things. And that it had nothing to do with me, yes. even though it felt so personal and it felt so pointed and directed in the moment every time it would happen mm-hmm. it actually didn't have anything to do with me I was a catalyst for it I was the, the mm-hmm. target for it at the time yep. Yep. um but it had everything to do with him and it literally had nothing to do with me what had to do with me was what kept me in that pattern and that's the mm-hmm. work that I had done and, and that's what helped me see clearly and and kind of take this bird's eye view of the entire situation and see it for what it was and and again to your point not get sucked back in because I could just see it so differently. And, and I, I'm, I have a very different life now. I'm super happy. I have some really great things going in my life that I just knew if I even gave it an ounce of energy or thought mm-hmm. that all of that would, would go fall to the wayside. And I worked so hard for it up to this yeah. point. So I just wasn't worth it. Yeah. And ultimately what I love that you wrote in the notes, I'd love to read it for my, my listeners. Cause I think it's so important. Um, is, you know, you said he was not meant for me because what's meant for me is worthy of me. Right. And that those types of behaviors are not what you're worthy of. You know, your worth now. And that's one of the biggest key differences is you're like, I'm not going to settle for less than what I'm worthy of. That's what I hear in that statement. 
Exactly. And it's taken me a long time to be able to say that and feel it. There's, you know, the, the yeah. that's the reconciliation between heart and mind that I yeah. finally feel it. I've always believed it, but now I finally feel it. Yes. Yes, queen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, you know, you. and it's okay. Like I tell people all the time, we, I don't think anybody can stand in that 100% of every day of every second of every day. Right. But once we get there, even if we fall off for a little bit, it's very easy. It, well, it's easier and it's quicker for us to get back to that place of, wait, no, 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 no. Like I was about to make a concession or I was about to settle. And then I remembered who I was. Mm-hmm. And I yes. was like, not today, <laughs> not in this house, right? Like <laughs> not today. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to move into the deconstruction zone and kind of run by you what I pulled out with kind of my, my brain, um, as far as the things that I highlighted now for my listeners, like Haley and I didn't even go into all of the things that she sent me. There's like a whole nother aspect of things with him texting all these other women and all the different things that we could go into. But I really wanted to focus on what the main point to me was that again, continued to keep Haley in this relationship for longer than, than she probably otherwise would have. And that was this dynamic of inconsistency, right? So um, the thing again to note here about this experience in the relationship is that the pattern of the behaviors of your ex, right? So I'm going to talk to you now, Haley, right? Not my listeners. I'm shifting <laughs> my listeners to you and how they hooked you, right? And again, we all have vulnerabilities, right? Every single one of us. So part of our healing and part of our empowerment is understanding why certain people might be able to hook us and other people might not be able to, right? Because we all have different vulnerabilities. So um, for me, really unpacking this pattern is understanding that something would happen. There would be some event. I say from what you've told me that it was more often unknown than known, right? Like every once in a while, you might know when you were asking a question or whatever, but more often than not, it was these landmines that you talked about, right? So I actually linked this yeah. to what, what I call um, the tactic of ignoring reality, right? So this might come in line with not answering texts, not letting you know what was bothering him. Um, this is ignoring reality is when somebody obviously has some sort of feelings and you're cold or you're like not even paying attention to their feelings. You're not validating them. It's an absolute ignoring, right? It's one thing if you acknowledge it and then darvo it, right? Like, but this is flat out ignoring of all of those types of mm -hmm. things, which I call again, ignoring reality. So as an aside, I name this as a power play. If I am the one in the know, then I'm the one in the power. I'm in the one in the place of power. You have to keep guessing. You have yep. to come to me to check whether or not you know what reality is. You know I am upset, et cetera, et cetera. In my opinion, exactly. again, I believe that this is a power play, right? And then the inconsistency starts, right? So this would be where sometimes he would go into what I would call highlighting flaws, right? Like you are questioning and interrogating or, or different faults. You're being insecure or needy. Um, these are actually distortions of facts, right? This, or changing of facts. And in and, and fact, because you weren't interrogating him, you aren't especially needy, right? Although here's where I would love to remind my listeners of the super validating statement as we're only as needy as our unmet needs. 
So being needy has been given a bad rap. Needs are needs. If we're needy, well, guess yeah. the fuck why? It's because you're not meeting any of my needs, right? Like, there's a reason I'm needy. <laughs> Just saying, yes. might be you, might be me. I don't, I don't think it's me. <laughs> Anyways, um, exactly. so highlighting these, right? Like, it's kind of like we talk about putting a spin on them to where the inference is that there's something negative or wrong with you for having these needs in the first place, right? Sometimes he would do that. Sometimes he wouldn't say anything at all and just ghost. Again, power play, right? He left you having to wait on him all the while guessing what was happening. And like I named earlier, this is actually a form of undermining, right? Because we're not given the ability to check our reality with the other person. Does that make sense? Like in a normal kind of... Right. Okay. Good, good, good. Right. So for my listeners, right. Like what I want to point out is like in a normal conversation, you can say, well, I think I hear you saying that you're upset because ABC and they'll be like, yeah, you totally got it or know your way off or whatever. We have this ability to kind of fact check. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. a way that we can confirm for ourselves whether or not we're perceiving truth, whether or not we're connected, all of these kinds of things. So it's actually undermining of our self-trust when we are robbed of that ability to do our fact-checking, right? So good. I'm glad that's resonating. So then what would happen is whenever it pleased him, who knows when that would be, (laughs) he would come back and use the tactic Mm -hmm. of exaggerating his wounds in order to paint himself as the victim or me, mm-hmm. I'm suffering from depression. So that's my excuse to just ghost or, or whatever, right? Like, listen, I'm not bad mouthing depression. You know, people suffer with depression and the healthy ones let their people know, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with depression. I might check out for a little bit. Um, or here's how you can reach me or they'll, they'll take responsibility. It's not a free pass. Right. Yes. Anything that that could put us in this place of, you know, putting ourselves as the victim, there's always a way that we can be responsible with those feelings. So that's by way side note how we recognize some of the victim stuff. So he would paint himself as a victim, which would again kind of stir that that empathy that let's work on it kind of thing. And then the love bombing to lure you back in and forgive him, and then wash and repeat mm-hmm. <laughs> really? mm-hmm. over yes. and over. And um, and so what I did is I kind of looped all four of these things together, this pattern, and named it as a combination of a tactic of inconsistency and actually the technique of coercion. So how I named that, so coercion is anytime there's almost kind of a threat um, where if you don't do something the way that I want you to, then you're not going to get a reward. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's an essence in your pattern in your pattern with this X where I make up, it's almost akin a little bit to grooming, um, except not, not sexually. It's like, I'm going to train you to not ask me these questions because when you do, I'm going to ghost you. Or I'm yes. going to train you, right? Like that's co- that's actually coercion, right? Um, it's not through conversation you decide this isn't a good topic for us to talk about without you know third person or whatever. Like it's like there's a punishment, and that punishment is the coercion. So the inconsistency along with coercion, to me, I believe, created this this kind of mind game aspect for um, for you, right? Where it's like not where you're playing mind games, but he's playing games, 
right? It's playing, it causes you to be in this place of a mind game, right? So I don't know. I'm so confused. I can't figure it out. You know, one day it's like this, then I never know when he's going to go. It just keeps us in this place where we can never be fully settled to know what to experience, right? So that's his part of the kind of flow chart. Does that seem pretty accurate? Totally accurate. Yes. I I used to tell people I felt drained. So the coercion, the application of the coercion word is completely spot on. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, not awesome that you experienced it, but awesome that I I named named it for you. Um, Okay. So for you, right, because we want to know both sides, right? Again, because moving forward, we don't, we want to be able to say, I'm never going to let that happen again. Well, this is how we not Mm -hmm. ever let it happen again, right? Um, On top of knowing our self-worth, right? What I kind of felt I saw from the story that you shared with me in your notes is that there were two main risks I saw at play. And that was your desire to keep the relationship going. Again, not a bad thing. We just need to be aware it can be make us at risk combined with your desire mm-hmm. to fix things in order to make them come out well. And for mm-hmm. you, what I felt I saw happening is that set you up with this combination of what he was doing over here to lose your connection to your knowing and your perception that the relationship was unhealthy and that you deserved better, right? It's like the focus was so much on this, you lost mm-hmm. your connection to this thing over here, right? Yes. So then this, this dynamic in you combined with your ex's gaslighting led to self-gaslighting, mm-hmm. which to me came in the form of questioning yourself and blaming yourself, Right that kind of self-gaslighting of like, well, he's ghosting again. What did I do wrong? Instead of Mm -hmm. he's ghosting again, what the hell is wrong with him? (laughs) Right? Like it's that kind of self-gaslighting is I must have done something wrong. It must be me. Right. Um, as well as that false hope, which is maybe the good phase will be longer or maybe it will be different next time. That's that's self-gaslighting, right? It's called false hope. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to point out, most of my listeners have been listening kind of consecutively, and most of y'all will know my episode, Kayla in Wonderland. And one of the things I wanted to point out that is different between Kayla's story and Haley's story is that your relationship was cyclical, right? In Kayla's example, her ex had a switch, right? And once mm-hmm. that switch happened, the romancer was gone. The love bombing was gone. And she was left hoping that it would go back. Like maybe if I work hard enough, it will go back to what it was at first. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. your relationship had the added component of you experiencing the high that comes from the love bombing. That was just enough to keep you trying to figure out what was wrong during the ghosting. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Perfect sense. Yeah. So what we do there as an aside is, you know, again, understanding our risks. It's not bad to want relationships to keep going, right? Like we don't, we don't want to just give up on a relationship first sign of, of problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or because there's, you know, arguing about toothpaste in the sink or whatever it may be, right? Like, um, you know, and it's not bad to want to fix things, but it's keeping connection, right? Like we want to pay attention to those things while keeping connection. It's that zooming in, zooming out thing, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're paying attention, that we're not making concessions, 
right? That we are able to say, I am living in reality. I know how healthy or unhealthy this is, and I will not settle. I'll allow room for growth, but I won't lower my bar, right? Does that difference make sense to you? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It does. Awesome. 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 Well, I would love to end with a little, well, you know, actually let me back up. Is there anything from my deconstruction of either your ex or yourself that, you know, it sticks out to you or you're like, wow, like I hadn't really thought about it that way. And that kind of helped me make sense of one more thing or anything like that. Um, the, the use of the term coercion is really resonating with me and helps explain even more what was happening underneath the surface. Cause to your point, it wasn't explicitly said, Yep. but there was definitely trained behavior that I learned Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. pattern that, that yes, I was punished if I did something he he didn't approve of or didn't want to talk about, et cetera. Um, and I think you're spot on with your, your deconstruction of kind of the patterns within me. Um, mm-hmm. definitely work that I've done in therapy as well to help me understand, um, how to stay connected to, yeah. to my own inner voice and, um, reconciling, reconciling between head and heart to make sure that I'm always living in, in that reality and not lowering my standards, not making concessions, mm-hmm. um, and choosing myself ultimately, ultimately. So I think you're spot on. Awesome. 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 Well, Haley, let's end this segment with a bit of encouragement. What would you like to say to my listeners? I would like to say, I think three things. So the first one I just mentioned actually a second ago is, is choose yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think in, in hindsight, what I've learned from this experience is when something doesn't feel right. And when you're not really sure what route to choose, always choose the path back to yourself. You can 100%. never be wrong choosing yourself in any situation, even if that means, you know, sacrificing the relationship or the connection, because you're ultimately sacrificing yourself by staying anyways, if that's, if that's yep. kind of the point in which you're already at. Yep. So the road back to yourself is really the best road to take, especially when you're not sure what to do. Um, Preach. The second thing would be that. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, it's hard. It's hard to choose yourself, but it, you're it never is. wrong to choose yourself. Um, the second thing would be that therapy can be really scary and can be really hard to start, but so worth it in the long run. Um, and it's been absolutely like absolutely life changing for me and necessary to heal the parts of myself that mm-hmm. needed to be tended to. Um, mm-hmm. so that I'm whole within myself and I didn't need to sacrifice again, my well being for the sake of a relationship. Yep. And then fall in love with yourself. I mean, you'll yes. be amazed at, you know, who you attract in your life when you really, again, choose yourself and fall in love with yourself and invest yep. in yourself. It's amazing what the universe and the world will bring and attract into your life when you're really in tune with your own needs and, and loving your life and loving yourself. So, yep. I love that. Things. Mm-hmm. I love that. And listen, you don't have to be in love. I, w- I want to say something about that because I love that so much. That was really a big part of me stepping into my power. Um, you don't have to love every single part of yourself, right? Like, we're not going to nitpick and say, I love my cheeks. And that, right. But it's like giving ourselves permission because we've been told, to, I think as women, especially, I mean, everybody, I think, but especially women, 
that that's conceited, right? Like if I say, oh my God, like, I think I'm amazing. Like you're lucky to be my friend or you're lucky to be my partner because I know that I love really well or all of like that we're going to come across as conceited. And that's, it's not, there's a different energy when you not only love yourself, but that love of yourself makes you think you're better than somebody else. That's the conceited part, right? Like us simply loving ourselves is not like taking away from anybody else's ability to also love themselves equally as much, right? Like I'm no better than you because I love myself, right? In fact, me showing others how to, how I love myself helps them love themselves better too, right? Like, so I love that. Oh, that was a great one. That was a great one. Thank you for sharing those things with my listeners. So really quickly, I just want to say, if you have a question that you would like me to answer in the podcast, I will have a link in my notes where you can put in a question and I'll answer it here. It can be anonymous. I can share a name, whatever you want. Also, um, I'm so glad some of y'all have been already contacting me wanting to be a guest on my podcast. I would love to have you on my podcast. If you would like to come and have me deconstruct a bigger story or just one specific situation or incident or whatever, whatever it might be, I would love to have you on. Again, the link will be in the show notes. So here's where we move into our segment, set your alarm. So if we are wanting it to be the most awake and most free version of ourselves, we want to commit to this process of awakening. And today's word of the day and message is paying attention to inconsistency. So again, this dynamic can show up in a number of ways. We really went into a great few of them in Haley's story. I wanted to point out two more ways that you can look for inconsistency in your relationships. The first one is when a person's words, actions, and energy don't line up, right? You can also say character. I like energy because I think it's it's just an easier way to wrap our brains around what we what we mean when we say character. So I want to give an example of that because I think that's important real quick. So a lot of people will talk about how make sure a person's words and actions um, line up. And I just don't think that's enough because when it comes to gaslighting, someone can say the right thing and they can even do the right thing. But then afterwards, ooh, you're going to feel it. You're going to know that they didn't really want to, to say and do that thing right? They're going to, they're going to be resentful. Um, you might experience what Haley did by withdrawal or some other form of punishment. Um, I've seen it come across financially, like there'll be different ways. So they might say the right thing and they might do the action of the right thing, but then their energy is not congruent with the other two. That's inconsistency. Okay. Another one, and this one's a little bit more obvious, but I want to expound on it a little bit too, is when they say one thing one day and then something completely opposite another day. Now, why I wanted to expound on this a little bit is because people are allowed to change their minds, right? I might think I want to do intermittent fasting one day and then I try it and it doesn't really work for me. So the next day I don't, that's changing my mind, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about is when people change what they're saying in such a way that you can never do it right. Okay. There's a big difference there. There's always something wrong with how you're doing it, right? So um, that is not about them changing their mind or their preference. This is a power play right? A way to keep you in a place of confusion, which ultimately makes you easier to influence and control. So if someone is changing what they want you to do or how they want you to show up or what they want you to say, 
over and over and over again, then it's time to start looking at whether or not there's some inconsistency and a power play there. Okay. So if you think this is happening in your relationship, I would encourage you to start tracking it. Look to see if there is a pattern and then sink in and remind yourself, while I care about what this person is saying or asking for, it's most important to know how I feel and what my thoughts are. So I'm going to sit with this until I know what those things are for me. So that's just set your alarm for today. Haley, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Yay. I love it. All right. So thank you, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. And once again, Wendy Child, not today. We got stars in the eyes like-